Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Don't mind the distractions. Um, in absence of technology, we make use of what we have. <clears throat> uh, this morning, I can say there's been a lot of challenges. I came in uh, after shower, got ready, waiting for the boys to get dressed. All of a sudden, I started feeling dizzy and um, my stomach, everything was kind of here and there. But thank God, things went back to, no <clears throat> went back to normal. And uh, thank God for all the prayers and um, support and everything. Um, here we are, a very beautiful morning that the Lord has made. And it's good to see your beautiful faces. And um, pray that the Lord will speak to us, even through uh, an ordinary vessel. That's the way God works. Uh, this morning, we are continuing with the book of Revelation, chapter 2. I will read from verse 18 to 29. And uh, we are looking at a letter to the church in Tetra, a.k.a. the corrupt church. Revelation chapter 2, 18, 19. But before then, shall we pray? Father Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity. We thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for your presence in our midst. Thank you for all that you've been doing in our lives individually and collectively as a church and the body of Christ. Lord, blessed be your name. Thank you, Father, gracious and most merciful Father, that you do not look at upon our sins squarely. Gracious Father, we ask for your mercy in any form or shape that we have deviated or fallen short of your glory. Thank you, Father. Be with us, guide us with your wisdom. Speak to us in the language that we'll understand and your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So, sequel to, the, to our study so far in the book of Revelation, uh, we've seen the letters to the churches of Asia Minor, which is the present-day Turkey. Apparently, each letter proclaimed by Jesus and recorded by John the Apostle, pinpointing the strengths and the weakness of the recipient churches and warn each congregation to repent. We also noted, as we are told, that the seven churches were among the numbers of early Christian communities in minor Asia. And these particular seven churches may have been chosen to receive Christ's apocalyptic messages because Geographically, the churches were located along established 
circular trade routes that brought together most populous and influential part of the province. Once the message, message was given to the churches in, this, in these prominent cities, the message will spread to the Christian communities in the rest of the province. So they were not chosen randomly, but because of their strategic position, knowing that if the message comes to them, it will spread to the other regions. Although the seven letters in this book are tailored for the named churches, these churches and their stated deficiencies can symbolize all churches in one respect or another. The instruction given to Revelation's congregation, therefore, is valuable to congregations, the Christian congregations today. And accordingly, the advice in these letters is prophetic for warning present-day Christians and churches alike against those things that could take us away from our faith. We've gone through the first three letters sent to the loveless church, the persecuted church, and the compromising church. And attention to the angels of the church of Ephesus, the angel of the church in Smyrna, and the angel of the church in Pergamon respectively. And this morning, we are looking at the fourth letter, the corrupt church, as addressed to the angel of the church in Tietra. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. The corrupt church, verse 18. And to the angels of the church in Tetra, write, These things said the Lord of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like the, like the fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allowed that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immoralities and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent for her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulations unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart. And I will give to each one, each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in theatre, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the deaths of Satan, as they said, I will put on you no other burden. 
but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my work until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the porter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. To begin with, let's look at the geographical location as well as the economic importance of Tetra. Now the modern Turkish city of Aksia, known as White Castle, Tetra was the smallest of the cities in Asia. It was also the least important it was about 35 miles from Pergamon and lies on the border between Lydia and Mysia. And during the Roman era, era, first century AD, it was famous for its dying facilities and a very busy marketplace for purple clothes and wool thread. Among the ancient ruins, of the city, inscriptions has been found relating to the, to the guild of Dias in the city. Lydia, a remarkable woman in the Bible, came from here. If you go to the book of Acts of Apostles, 16, verse 14, it tells you more about this woman. Sixteen, four, verse 14. Now a certain woman, woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Tetra, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to hear the things spoken by Paul. And when she, had, when she and her household were baptized, she begged us to she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. That's Paul speaking. So this lady came from this particular place, Tetra. So it was a very busy and wealthy commercial city on a major road of the Roman Empire. Many trade unions and interest groups established their presence here. Even though the Roman authority did not like the unions, yet their large military quarters near Pergamon depended on the huge trade in Tetra for the essential supplies. It was a very difficult task for a Christian in Tetra to make a living without belonging to a union. And in order to work in these unions, which constitutes the entire business of the city, Christians has to join a union or a guild, 
made up of pagans for the most part. The meeting of the guiles were devoted to licentious debaucheries, which were connected with the worship of erotic idols of the Greek world. According to William Beckley, these guiles met frequently and they made for a common meal. Such a meal was, at least in part, a religious ceremony. It will probably meet in a hidden temple, and it will certainly begin with a libation to the gods, and the meals itself will largely consist of meats offered to idols. The official position of the church means that the Christians will not attend such meals. Verse 18 and 19. Verse 18 and 19. And to the angel of the church in Tetra writes, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. In this particular letter, Jesus made it clear to the church in Tetra that he is the son of God. And this is the first and the only time in this book that he uses this title. Here he is stressing his deity. And this means that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. It depicts his greatness, the greatness of Christ Jesus as the only begotten son of God. So here he said that he is the son of God. He proclaimed that sonship. In Psalm, in Psalm, in Psalm 2, if you see anybody that sees it before me can... Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, 9. Psalm 2. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare decree, decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Amen. Having eyes like blazing fire implies that he sees and knows everything. His eyes can pierce the surface, the disguises, the postures and the pretensions of his people and get right to the heart of what they are up to. There is no hidden place in Christ. He sees you for who you are and actually what you are. There is no deceive 
no pretensions. He sees all and knows all. He has his feet like burnished bronze, which can trample sin under his foot and punishes that which is wrong. That's if needs be. Both are needed in the church. Especially at that time, the church of Tetra being the most corrupt of the seven churches at, and that are presented here. This is similar to Daniel's description of God in Daniel chapter 10, 4, 6. Daniel 10, he said, now on the 20, now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the river Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of offers. His body was like burial, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like touches of fire, his arms and the feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of the words like the voice of a multitude. This description here, this is um, Daniel's description of God, and it is just similar to this revelation, the description of Christ here. The shining implies anger against, or rather compassion for the contrite, contrite hearts. So it signifies two things. Number one is anger against sin and it's also compassion for you know those the contrite hearts they look through into a person's heart and mind jesus knows what is in man's heart in mark chapter 22 in mark chapter 2 verse 8 john 2 and the uh, john 2:25 explain this better his eye sees everything that is there. You cannot hide anything from him. No evil will escape his notice. He knows the intent of our hearts. The feet shows the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will move quickly, very quickly against sin. He will pursue evil and trample, trample it under his feet. However, there is some good things going in the church of Tetra. In verse 19, Jesus says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. According to one commentator, love leads to service. Faith leads to perseverance. And if you love God, 
he will serve his people. You cannot help it. This is the way it should be. You cannot do. You cannot give what you don't have. Even though concerted effort is made, the willingness might not be made. But if the Lord put it on your heart to serve his people, he will enable you. So it is a sign of having the love, passion, and the willingness to serve. And if you have faith, you will persevere. You will understand that God is in total control and things will work out according to his purpose. Keep up your good work. Do not quit. This is the message. This is the message, even though it was for those, if it's for the church, the corrupt church in Tetra, then it is for us today as Christians, as church, as body of Christ. It is for us. We need, to, we need to persevere. We need to have faith in order to persevere. The love should be there. The desire to serve, to appreciate. We should not kind of stumble. We need to stand firm. We need to keep up the good work. That is what we are called for, to do. He said that we should not quit, no matter the circumstances, no matter the challenges, whatever that is up against us. As far as God is there, there is no impossibility. There will be no barrier. So here was a church that had many people that loved God and served his people. They had faith in his words and they persevered. They helped many and they kept it up. As others then got involved, the church began to grow. So the deeds or the works of the church were far more when this letter was written than when it, was, when it began. That shows growth and development. It shows how a church can grow and multiply, both physically and spiritually. Apparently, the church in Tetra was a busy, bustling, active church with some wonderful people in it, who obviously manifested love and faith, concern and care for others. It must have seemed a very attractive church. They are doing more than they did at first and was growing in its service for Christ. This is a wake-up call for us today as body of Christ. We need to do more than we did at the beginning. We need to be seen growing and reaching out in service of Christ, both within and without. Last week, or rather last Sunday, we celebrated Easter in a different kind of way. But that was beautiful. To those who were present, even I have some short pictures, 
which I will share later. So it, this is how we should be, very simple. And we reach out to the community. Listen, whether they are here today or not, it doesn't matter. And that should not discourage us. Sometimes when you plant a seed, it doesn't germinate immediately. It takes time. And it takes effort. You need to water. I'm not a good... Um, <laughs> but um, with few experience, that's the way it is. You nurture it. Gradually, you begin to see the results. That's the same way. When we talk about evangelism, when we talk about reaching out to the community, to people, it's about planting seed. Planting the seed, we need to water it and give it time to germinate. I remember one conversation with one of the, uh, one of those, the, the people that we went to. She said, I think it was with Lena, she said that she doesn't, she, she goes to pop or something like that in the morning. How do you expect her to be, to be in the church the following day? Um, you never can tell. That same person can turn around and become the very, very person that you will see in the congregation. It happens. There should be no discouragement. People will say their minds. I met one of them say, no, we don't need this because we don't believe in that. Fair play to him. But at the same time, we told him, you can come. This is where we are anytime. That's the way it is. You, we should not be discouraged by the word of man or by the action or whatever. And uh, Brian, thank you for the military terms that you use, even though I'm not a soldier or whatever, but sometimes I've had all these things. That's how um, when we talk about Christianity, it's like we are, we are soldiers of the cross. We are soldiers of the cross. So, they, it continues. He said, however, not all is well. Not all is well as the blazing eyes and the burning feet of Christ goes into action. Here we begin to learn the deeper facts about the church. Verse 20-23. Chapter 2, 2023. 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allowed that woman, Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immoralities, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with the death, with death, and all the, ch all the churches shall know that I am he, who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. 
I like the way one Bible commentator put it. Restatement. He summed it this way. Evidently, there was in the church at Tetra a woman who was a very dominant leader. It may not, this may not be her actual name, but Jesus named her Jezebel, according to her character. Here, he chooses the name of the most evil woman in the Old Testament. As we remember, the Old Testament Jezebel was the daughter of King, King of Sidon, a town in Lebanon, and the wife of King, ah uh, King Ahab, a weak and a bad king of Israel. Jezebel had the infamous honor of introducing the worship of Baal to Israelites. Baal was a fertility god, and his worship involves immoral and licentious practices. There were temples, temple prostitutes, both male and female, associated with worship of Baal. It was Jezebel who spread that degraded worship widely among the tribes of Israel until it became one of the popular religion of the day. She herself supported over 800 prophets of Baal who ate at her table. She was the one who, who tried to kill Elijah after his famous encounter with 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel when the fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices. She was also the one who murdered her neighbor, Naboth, because her husband wanted his vineyard. She was a ruthless, immoral seducer of people. And that is why Jesus selects her name for this dominant woman at Tetra. And according to the prophecy of the Old Testament, Jezebel ended her days by throwing down from her palace window into the courtyard below where the dogs came and ate her body and licked up her blood. That was the end of that woman. And why did Christ choose such name for somebody? Somebody, a, a prophetess. Because her attitude, her character was quite similar to this to Jezebel. This Jezebel in Tetra church calls herself a prophetess, but like her namesake, her teaching were very wrong and injurious to members' faith and belief in Christ Jesus. Jezebel had begun to teach that it was all right for them to go along with the requirements of the guides that they needed to submit to the pressure of the world around in order to make a living, and that God will understand and overlook all this. This is compromise. Last time we talked about com compromise. Except in politics, 
or in negotiation. Compromise is not a good, it's not a positive character. You don't need to compromise the word of God. But when you are negotiating, you can compromise in order to accommodate the other, in order to get somewhere. But this is not the case. The word of God cannot be compromised. We have to follow it as it is. As I mentioned in the beginning, for you to survive here in Tetra, you have to belong to a union. And these unions are more or less, more of um, pagan worshippers. They believe and they worship idols. And it is not what the Christians believe. It is against their belief and they are not to partake. And when you look at it, if they don't belong to this union, they find it difficult to survive. They find it difficult to make a living. But because they trust in the Lord, all things work it out fine for them. They were surviving, God provided for them, but this woman was teaching this prophetess, Jezebel, was teaching that it's all right for them to belong to that God, that it's okay, that God will understand, that they should compromise their faith, that they should make a living, go out, join them, do what they do. We kind of have this attitude in the church today, in general. We attract something that is out there into the church and nickname it. We Christianize it and it becomes part of us. While it shouldn't be so. It is what is in the church that should be taken to this, into the world and influence the world, not the world to influence the church. So this woman is teaching that it's all right to behave like the unbelievers, to join them. The churches nowadays have adopted the easygoing sexuality and lack of standard that is spreading wide in our societies. Some churches have even given, given approval of homosexual as an alternative lifestyle. Many do not discipline their members when they fall into sexual immoralities. Other allow, others allow pornography to go unchallenged in their midst. But notice that the Lord holds the church responsible. His accusation to them is, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. This is a problem that church leaders has to face in our days, just as it has to be faced in the first century. 
we still face the same problem. This is talking about the leaders for now. Yes, when we come out here, or in a, we all are leaders in our various fields. But when you come out here to stand, not, uh, is, there is what is expected is God's standard. And what proceeds from your mouth is sort of what the, what the congregation, what the, what, the, what, what the people has to believe. And there should, there should be no compromise. No wrong teaching, because what you say here impacts the life of people. Influence people's life and their understanding, their faith. So the, uh, the Jezebel, she stood and encouraged the church, the members, to do things that are not according to the scripture. Things that are against their faith. But he, she made it like this is the way and that God will always understand. Yes, God will understand, but God will provide as well. So it's the same problem that we have in the church today. In both letters to the church in Pergamon and Tetra, Jesus connects sexual immorality with idolatry. God forbid these activities, and it's wrong and simple for believers to indulge in fornication or adultery in any form or shape. That is what was going on in Tetra. The punishment against this teaching reflects the sickness that adultery and immorality always bring. There are three parties involved. First, there is Jezebel herself. Jesus said, I will cast her on a suffering, on a bed of suffering. Then there is another group. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Literally, I will give them great affliction unless they repent of her ways. Those who commit adultery with her are those who practice, as she did, immoralities and the consequent idolatry. There is still a third group. The Lord said, I will strike her children with death. Children represent those who not only practice immoralities, but who teaches it as well as Jezebel was doing. The death here referred to spiritual death. But here is the good news. Unless they repent, unless they repent of her ways. Our Lord always gives an opportunity for repentance. 
It is opportunity to repent. But Jesus said she was unwilling. And so the judgment must come. The impact of that judgment is given in verse 23. Is that impact is I will kill her children with deaths and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind and her heart and I will give to each one of you according to your works. And according to another commentator, the result of judgment and discipline within the church is that the church is purified, strengthened and helped people will begin to take note of evil tendencies and become careful not to drift into patterns of the society around and be willing to stand against the tide or swim against the current. And as we look at the church in theater prophetically, that is within the scope of church history, we see that this church foreshadows the time from the 6th to the 16th century. A thousand years that has been called the devil millennium. The dark ages or known to history as the middle age. It was a time when the church became corrupt by combining pagan rites and Christian teaching. Many pagan practices and hidden rituals were introduced into the church and baptized with Christian terminology. Verse 24 and 25 says, Now to you I said, and to the rest in theatre, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the deaths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. This is a wonderful, wonderfully sensitive and thoughtful word. Here, for the first time in this letter, our Lord lays stress emphasis on his coming. The deep things or death of Satan indicates that when a church drifts in these areas of moral standards, it almost invariably involves the rise of mystic rites and rituals. People love to feel they are being led into special or secret things. You find these mystic cults arising in many of the movements of our days. The New Age movement, for instance, intrigued people with relationship of powerful spirit, a spirit being who can impact information that ordinary people do not have. These are what Jesus called the deep things of Satan. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 
he speak of the deep things of the of the deep things of God. If anybody can read First Corinthians chapter two, verse ten. First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two, two ten. Yeah. For us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For for you among men knows the thoughts. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God know. One who knows except the Spirit of God. Amen. So whenever God has something good, Satan imitates it. Satan is a good imitator. But the difference is, it's far less than the original. Not even close, even though they might look alike. These dark and hidden matters are Satan's imitation of the wonderfully deep truths in the word of God. The prophetess, or some prophets, those that are not rooted in the Lord, they can as well give you information that you need. They can as well divine or tell you about tomorrow or whatever you need. They can search your heart and come up with solution. But the difference is that solution is not real. You may see it as real, you may touch it, you may hold it, but it comes with loads of sorrow. Unlike God's blessing, he adds no sorrow to it. If God blesses you, there is no sorrow attached to it. But if devil gives you something, if, you give, if he gives you 10, he's sure to collect 100 from you. So that's why it's very, very dangerous. It's not even advisable. The Bible says flee. Those are one of those things that you have to flee. Don't even stand. Don't even challenge. Just walk away. Just walk away. That's the way it is. Now, those who refuse this, Jesus said, 
Hold fast what you have. Do not let it go. Do not accept, do not accept these degrading moral standards. It may be difficult to live for a Christ in a worldly church, in a worldly church. But hang on to your moral standard at least. Do not go along with sexual moralities. Do not accept the idea that adultery is only a minor sin. That you need to have a fair now and then. Hold on. Jesus said, until I come. To such who overcome by holding fast. To such who overcome by holding fast. He is coming. He said, hold fast till I come. We need to hold fast. No matter the challenges. No matter what we are up against. No matter the influence of the community, the society. Hold on to your faith. Keep doing what you are doing for Christ. He said, till I come. And he will definitely come. <clears throat> Verse 26. And he who overcomes and keep my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. This is the promise of Christ. In verse, five, in verse uh, 25, he said, hold on until I come. Now, in verse 26, he said, and he who overcomes and keep my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And 27, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter of vessels, as I also have received from my father. That quotation from Psalm 2 is a reference to the rule of Christ in the earthly kingdom that we call the millennium. It is a promise of reigning with Christ, not in the new heaven and the new earth, but in a period marked by the type of rule found in this quotation. Jesus said he will rule them with an iron scepter. That means with some degree of stand just judgment. He will dash them to pieces like Potter's vessel, Psalm 2, verse 9. That is, the combines of evil will be broken up on that day. It is referring, therefore, 
not to the new heaven and the new earth, because nothing evil ever enters there. But to the millennial kingdom, the earthly kingdom over which the saint will share a reign with Christ. We need to understand that the millennium is a time when the righteous, when the, when righteousness reigns. That is, it rules over the earth. It judges among the people because sin is present and dead as well. But the new heaven and the new earth reflect a condition where righteousness dwells. Nothing shall enter there except that which is righteous and pure and good, and pure and good. And I will give him the morning star, verse 28. That is a beautiful symbol. In the book of Malachi, there is a great prophecy by the prophet that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wing. Malachi chapter two, verse two, uh, chapter four, verse two. That is the Lord Jesus will return in power and great glory. He will be like the sun appearing in darkness of this world's night. And in Revelation chapter 22, uh, uh, chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus said to himself, I am the bright and the morning star. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just as he said to all the churches, these promises and warnings are needed in our individual lives. No matter the dispensation or what our local churches may be, no matter what it may look like, no matter the number, no matter the space, this same message is for us, is for you. Do not let your love for Jesus grow cold. Amen. Amen. Father Lord, we thank you for how you've led us. Thank you for your words that have gone forth. We pray that it shall be like a seed plants beside a stream of water that it may germinate and bear fruit in our lives. Father, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your love, your mercy. Continue to be our guide. Lead us. Help us not to compromise our faith, O Lord. And blessed be your name. Amen.